When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Alec and Bryce, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thanks for having us, Kate. Glad to be here. It's wonderful to have you here and it was great to see you in Sydney for our event the other week. And you've also just launched a new book, which is very exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it is exciting. Um, it was great to see you all in Sydney. I Very impressive 10-stop multi-city tour. Um, I'm sure you guys are exhausted now, but uh, good on you for getting out there and um, you know, not just hitting the major capital cities. Um, but yeah, no, we, we've got the book out, Don't Stress, Just Invest, um, our second book, which is exciting. Uh, and really, if Get Started Investing, our first book was really everything we've learned over the four or five years of doing the podcast. And it was really meant to be, you know, the start of someone's investing journey. This second book is the start, the middle and the end of people's investing journey. It was really written for all of our mates that would never listen to a finance podcast, but just could stand from an automated way to set up their investments and then, you know, get on with their lives. Mm. I'm sure you've realized just the same way we have that you really don't need to complicate everything and investing can seem super complicated. So I really like the title because it just sort of focuses on the core of what we're doing here. We're, We're building wealth, but we don't need to have the most complicated structure and find the best tax loophole. We can just have a great investment strategy that doesn't actually take that much time to put into place and focus on the more important stuff outside of that. So to kick things off, I'd be keen to hear what the best investing piece of wisdom you've ever received was. 
Wow. Well, best in- investing wisdom. I mean, one that one that is this is recency bias, but um, but that's okay because we're all about understanding our our mm. cognitive biases here and becoming better <laughs> investors. <laughs> I'm really focusing on um, on uh, creating a much more concentrated portfolio. Um, I, we had a, and I've spoken about this with Ren on the show, but we had a, a financial advisor come on recently, Charlie Viola, and he was talking about when you're starting out your investing journey two years in, five years in, there's a, a desire from a lot of people to put $500 here, $200 there, $500 over there, and kind of just get excited about the 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 feeling of investing and all the opportunities that are out there, which is great. But where real sort of wealth is made is by concentrating in uh, you know a limited number of positions and just building large positions in those ETFs or whatever it may be until you get to a point where it, it becomes quite meaningful. So that's something that I'm sort of concentrating on at the moment is I, I had a look at my portfolio after that and realized that I did have 500 here and 200 over there and, and thought realistically, if that doubles over the next year or so, it's just going to get me another 200 bucks. But if I, I know that sounds a bit ridiculous, but if I keep putting money into the same sort of core ETFs and get those positions to a much larger point, it could become quite meaningful over a period of time. So we get a lot of questions from people when, when they sort of start their investing journey, how many ETFs is too many? And, and Charlie sort of said that three to four is a good place to start building meaningful wealth. So yeah, recency bias, but um, it's just what I'm focusing on at the moment. Nice. I think for me, uh, very on brand and on theme given the book that we've just released, but just quite simply, the average is enough. I think uh, a lot of people think you need to do more uh, to you know build wealth in the stock market. They need to spend more time, do more research, pay for more research services, uh, you know, do more work in Excel, whatever it is, read more investing books or anything. Uh, and all, all to just get like above average returns, but but you don't. Uh, to build wealth, all you need to do is take the stock market average year over year and just keep dollar cost averaging in. And so um, I think once you embrace that idea that the average is enough, it just really changes how you think about investing and most importantly, how daunting uh, getting started is. I think many listeners can probably identify with both of your pieces of advice there because, Bryce, I know we've talked about it on the show before. Owen kind of calls that the collector where you just keep adding things to your portfolio and you don't really think about, well, what's the overall plan here? And I know, Alec, a lot of people are searching for the next big thing or the opportunity or the way to get ahead compared to someone else and that often leads them astray, which is one of the, the good messages about your book. Now, you've talked about it being the start, middle and end of someone's investing journey. I'd be really interested to hear over the past sort of two years since your first book, Get Started Investing, how your individual approaches to investing have changed. I don't know if our individual approaches have changed that much. I mean, I don't want to speak for Bryce. He's obviously selling a lot of his smaller positions. But I think, you know, what what we've heard time and time again and and certainly what I've internalized is that core and satellite approach of having a uh, strong, well-diversified core of low-cost uh, global market tracking 
index ETFs, and there's a lot of jargon in that, but um, just having a core of ETFs that you get the average market return, and then having some satellite positions where you uh, you know, invest in interesting companies or interesting themes. I think that's been our investing approach for years now, and every expert we speak to, every financial advisor we speak to on the podcast just really reinforces my view that that's the right way to invest. Um, I think what changed with the book though was really who it was for. And I hope everyone reads it and I hope everyone gets something out of it, but I really want to engage our mates and the people out there. And I'm sure everyone listening can think of friends and family members who could benefit from investing, who have money sitting in a savings account earning 2% interest and you know that they're not going to touch for decades to come who think, who have all these preconceived notions about what the stock market is or what in, who investing is for, like they're the people that I want to reach. And Kate, no matter how many podcast episodes we all do, those people are never going to actively hit play on a podcast episode. So, uh, you know, and I get it. There's better things that they want to listen to, sport, politics, entertainment. True crime. True crime. There's a lot out there. And, um, you know, I wouldn't begrudge anyone to listen to Bryce and I day after day, week after week, year after year. So I get it. Um, but hopefully this book can be for those people, the one finance book, well, two, because they should read yours as well. Um, figure out how to build wealth and then figure out how to buy happiness with that wealth <laughs> and then get on with your life and listen to other podcasts. Yeah, I think that's good. There's, I, I would say having read your book recently, there's not too much overlap, which is good for, for listeners. So you can buy both. And that's the good thing with investing. You can invest in ETFs and you can also invest in shares. They're not mutually exclusive. And the core and satellite approach is something we've spoken a lot about on the show. Now, I know you are talking to investors all the time. You're talking to experts. And I know a lot of people when it comes to investing, they still feel like there's some barriers there, whether it's the barrier of thinking they need a lot of money or it's the barrier of thinking they need to know a lot more about investing. I've spoken to some people recently who just were telling me that investing is just something their friends do. It's not something they do. Why do you think we still, given how much information and how many resources out there, why do we still find it quite difficult to take that first step on our investing journey? I think it's part of it is driven by the I don't know if the word stigma is the right word about around uh, the share market, but if you think about how our parents generated a lot of their wealth and their parents generated a lot of their wealth, it was done through bricks and mortar, the housing market. And, and then for those that were fortunate enough to be investing in the stock market, to be honest, back in the day, you did need probably a bit more money than what you need to get started now. So that sort of asset class was was for those that had that next level of disposable income. It was expensive to buy stocks. Like you had to have a broker and pay them brokerage service fees. So traditionally, the the money required to access the stock market was actually much more prohibit- prohibitive than it is today. And so that, that I then think carries through to how our parents talk to us about investments and 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 it's it's only in the last sort of five or six years that technology has really driven down the price of being able to literally access the stock market for a matter of sense. And so now the job to be done is to re-educate people on the fact that no, you don't actually need huge sums of money to, to get access to the stock market. You can get access for as little as a few cents these days. So it's, 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 a, it's a legacy, I think, sort of um, uh, 
attitude towards the stock market that lends people of our generation to still think that you need a lot of money to do it. Um, the good news is that that's just not the case. And, and you've spoken about it plenty of times on the show, Kate, and we've spoken about it as well. Like there is technology these days that lets you in for, for cents. Do you think modern investing now needs a marketing campaign so people know that all these options are available and it is more accessible? It needs the government. Well, yeah. I mean, it needs (laughs) needs education at school. It needs needs to be in the curriculum. Yeah, Yeah. well, it does have some tax breaks, but it it needs this. Yeah, it needs a whole generation. And we might be, it might be our generation. No, I was going to say, aren't we the marketing campaign? Like podcasts like Kate's and Owen's and ours and Glenn and... I mean, Victoria. we had a. We were just reading a, a question from a listener that came through this morning that that made me think. Like, are we gonna, the next generation is the one that is maybe is maybe going to be the one that is pro shares over property purely because it's very difficult to get into property and and a lot of people feel and understand. I guess the the additional costs that come with owning a home, owning property. And now probably understand a bit better that you can generate wealth in an alternative way. It doesn't have to be through property. And this question was, how can I tell my parents that I want to build my wealth in ETFs, not by buying an investment property in Sydney? And I think what it needs is an entire generation to turn around and show that they've built meaningful wealth. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I know what you mean, but all I'm thinking is the, the only way that happens is if the property market really crashes. Yeah, or or not not crashes, but people just find an alternative. No, like you're the classic. And sorry, Kate, we're just bickering here, like a married <laughs> couple. But, um, but like you're the classic example of someone who was all in on building wealth in the stock market for about a decade, more than a decade. You were building wealth in the stock market for the last six years. You've done a stock market related podcast and built a stock market media business. Yeah, but even you have been desperate to get in the property market. But not. And a- now you're all. You bought a house, and now you're but, all in on that. But not from a not not with the understanding that that's how I'm solely going to build my wealth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> long story short, Kate is yes. It needs a marketing campaign. It does. Yeah. I, I think um, I, I'm. Like it needs to be taught in schools. The fact that it's not taught in schools for me is outrageous. Um, I was taught, having this conversation with my with our. I was having this conversation with our publisher um, around the book because we put some of these feelings in the book, and she made the case that it is taught at school. But she was saying that we learn about the compound interest formula in maths, and I was like, the fact that you think that is yeah. teaching financial literacy <laughs> like is in and of itself the problem. Like. The basics of tax, the basics of um, investing and, you know, like personal finance, like that should be a subject. Mm. And there are some states in the US that are pretty far ahead. They've like Florida, for example, last year passed a law uh, that every high school student graduating high school needs to do like a certificate of like basic financial literacy. Would love to see that in Australia. But until then, I guess, Kate, we're in a business of writing, (laughs) writing books and making podcasts. Yeah, no, it's tough because often the people providing those courses in school don't necessarily have the the resources and knowledge themselves. So who do you get to come into schools to provide that? It's a, I think it's a bit of a challenge there and something we've probably got to work on solving. Commonwealth Bank, get them back in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going. That worked out very well, didn't it? We all uh, ended up with a credit card from them. Yeah, well, I haven't moved banks. Oh, no, that's not true. I opened an ING savings account uh, this year because uh, the 
you know, rates were rising, savings rates were better at ING. But literally from that, do- that first time Dolomites came to my primary school to the time I turned 30, I was just a Commonwealth Bank customer. Yeah, well, it was one of their best marketing campaigns, probably their best marketing <laughs> campaign, full stop. <laughs> yeah. And what about when it comes to when you're talking to listeners or friends that come to you with all these challenges and you're sort of telling them, well, there's all these low-cost ways to invest these days, it's not actually that hard and they're still like, oh, it's just too hard. What do you say then? Like, how do you help challenge those limiting beliefs that aren't really the physical aspect of investing but are more the emotional and behavioural side of things? Good question. You tell them that if you invest $100 a month for 40 years, 30 years, you'll get 350 grand and then see what they say. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a hard one to be honest. Like we have plenty of instances like that. And I think Owen had a great example at your show in Sydney. Like it, it, it often takes something that is outside of people who are in, in it to explain to them or for the light bulb moment to come. Um, like I, I think about my wife, Harriet, and like it wasn't until, uh, you know, sh- she did take the step, but it's, it's, having that in there and, and and actively understanding how you're going to react when the markets do go down and do go up. So I understand getting them in is the hard part, but there's no magic formula, I don't think. It's just repetition of of, of message. And um, we're, we're even thinking like, you know, the, the idea of gifting stocks, I think could really help people. Like if, if, the, if the work was done and you just received your brokerage account with an ETF with 500 bucks in it, and where when you go over to you, that that is maybe one way of being like, you're in. I don't know. It's a tough one. What do you think? I think read our book. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I forgot this is a promo podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think we literally wrote a whole book trying to answer this question. Yeah, but to Kate's point, it's to Kate's point. You can tell them everything, and they can still say, but it still feels too hard. Yeah. yeah. So. And for me, the, the big one is, um, you know, there, there are a lot of limiting beliefs. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough time. But for me, I, the one that I think is the hardest to push back against is the perceptions of risk. And um, we, all, we all know why people look at the stock market as risky. Uh, stock market crashes are front page news. Stock market recoveries barely get covered in the business section. Um, and... Everyone has stories of uh, someone they know or someone they've heard about who had a lot of their wealth tied up in an individual stock or an individual company and that company went bust. Um, And those stories uh, color everyone's perception of the stock market and can be really hard to overcome. Um, And, you know, again, in our book, we try and explain why, you know, investing in a the overall market through an index fund is different to investing in an individual company. We try and talk about how over the long term, the stock market becomes very predictable uh, rather than unpredictable in the short term. Um, but I think you've just got to keep chipping away. And, you know, well, Owen, Owen gave the example that his brother was just immune to Owen's cries of you should start investing. And I think Bryce and I are kind of at that same point. I'm, I'm sure, sure they are, are very like, loud. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, these are the guys with the investing podcast. Like, why would we listen to them? We've, we, we know what they're going to say. Sometimes it needs to be a different messenger. And I think, you know, for parents, it's probably the same. Like, there's only so much success a parent could have telling their kids or trying to teach their kids. 
it probably needs to be a friend or someone, you know, a, men- a mentor when they're early in their career at work or something like that. And so I think it's just like it, in the same way that investment returns compound, knowledge compounds as well. And I think the more people that are learning and that sharing their knowledge um, and, the, you know, the, the people that are reluctant are hearing it from different people with different perspectives, it just slowly chips away at some of these, I guess, preconceived notions about what the stock market is and who it's for. We're taking a quick break to share a message about Pocketsmith, one of our wonderful partners on the show. Pocketsmith is a customizable personal finance management tool that helps you be the best CFO for your household. Get on top of your finances, understand where your money is going and forecast ahead. Track your net worth up to 60 years into the future and reach your money goals. If you're ready to manage your money like a pro, Pocketsmith have a special deal for you. Get 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan by heading to pocketsmith.com slash rask or click the link in the show notes let's get back to the show yeah it's interesting you mentioned the word risk there because a lot of us don't actually realize there's a lot of risk not to investing and not to saving and doing things with our money like not having an emergency fund means that when something bad happens that you're impacted much more significantly and i think sometimes we underestimate that we're actually pretty good risk takers like we take risks on our career we take risks asking someone out on a date like we do a lot of risk-taking behaviors all the time. And a lot of the best things in our lives are because we took a risk at some point. But I think somehow there's a disconnect when it comes to investing because we, we just see our money and it just seems like something we can't take any risk with at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also like people take a risk with taking out a massive mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you don't, and you, people don't think twice about that. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that psychological difference between between not, not even leveraging yourself in the stock market versus it being totally fine to take out a mortgage and service that for 30 years. Like that's, that's um, yeah, it's just fascinating. Mm, yeah. I think the, the structure of the stock market certainly doesn't lend itself to, our, to, to managing our psychology well. Mm. The you know the the constantly updating prices, mm. the financial media that surrounds it. Um, we very there's a very sharp and quick feedback loop uh, in terms of the risk we take. Like you know, the example of buying a house that that feedback loop is sometimes decades long. Uh, you don't really realize the risk that you've taken. Asking someone out, I mean, it's pretty immediate, but it's, it's you know, the worst <laughs> that happens is you get a no. Uh, your career, the feedback loop is a little bit longer and, you know, the downside again isn't as great often. But like this idea that you could lose everything you put in and you could lose it very quickly in the stock market just sort of colors the perception of risk. But I don't like, you know, the uh, like over the long term, the stock market trends upwards. It becomes quite predictable. Um, that risk isn't any greater, but it's just the way that it's like presented and the way that we perceive it and the feedback that we get immediately that makes it seem so much bigger. Yeah, it's often like that conversation that if we had a, a stock code above our property, we'd have a very different reaction if it was updating every second. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of it. Like property, there's a very different psychological element to it because we're not seeing the property prices update every minute of every day. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, we don't see the opportunity cost of not investing as well. And we don't see what our life could be and 
how comfortable our retirement could be if we make decisions in our 20s. And I also think that there was some, we wrote a chapter in the book on like the psychology of this all and how our brains weren't designed to be good investors. Um, and there was some studies that came out of UCLA over in, in California in the States that looked at, uh, that scanned people's brains when they were thinking about uh, doing something for someone else, doing something for themselves in the moment, and then doing something for their fu- for, for our future selves. And what they found is that when we start, we start to think about our future selves and making decisions today that benefit our future selves, our brains perceive that in the same way they, they think about doing something for someone else entirely. We think of our future self as another person rather than as doing something for ourselves. And it, it's the nature of, you know, the moment-to-moment moment survival instincts that we developed as we were evolving and we didn't, we weren't, we didn't evolve to plan 60 years into the future because it wasn't, it wasn't critical to our survival. So I think um, if you feel like you're struggling with your psychology and you're you're trying to overcome some cognitive biases, it's okay. Our brains weren't designed for this. And um, yeah, we've got to overcome our, I guess our animal instincts to be better investors. So what steps are you putting in place to look after your future self financially if you are if you know that you're a bit disconnected from that person? I mean automate. In a word, yeah. automate, automate, automate. That's three <laughs> words. Um, <laughs> but I think and that's why we wrote the book and any expert you speak to, not just in um, in the financial world, but in any part of life, if you're trying to build habits, make it part of your routine, make it automatic. Um, and take the thinking out of it because your brain is often the biggest barrier. So um, for in finance, if you can automate your investing, so when you get paid, it automatically gets transferred to your broker account and that automatically gets invested and you don't think about it, um, you're going to be better off in the long term. And then you get the dopamine hit when your broker messages you to say, we've just executed your orders. (laughs) (laughs) That's the positive. Yeah. So I think, and you know, that's automating is the same in so many different aspects of life. Um, if you're struggling to do something, find a way to make it a habit and get the get the thinking out of it. Mm. I think back to your question, Kate, earlier: is how has have have our investing approaches changed over the last two years? I think at the, our th- this business is pr- the biggest investment we probably currently have, and and I've probably you you just bought a house. This is still bigger. <laughs> in Sydney? Yeah. Must be a small house, eh? From no. what I heard the other week, houses in Sydney are pretty extreme. <laughs> they are, but the business is... is Anyway, the business is, still, <laughs> business is still the biggest investment we have. And, it, um, and over the last two years, probably the um, time we've had an ability to spend on individual stock selection and our, and our satellite portfolio hasn't been as great as when we first um, started out and we're working the corporate job and could spend a bit more time on it. But to the point about automating, like I think having that there and it just ticking away is such a comfortable feeling. And to Ren's point again, knowing that that is more than enough and you can go about when life throws other circumstances at you that take away time from you thinking about your stock market, but you just know that in in the background, you're doing something to build wealth in the stock market. It doesn't have to be heaps of money, but just that automation 
and the feeling of comfort that you get from being like, I'm okay with that. That is, I don't need to do more than that. I don't need to spend time after work thinking about, am I going to buy baby bunting or what I, whatever stock? I don't know why I chose that in this example. <laughs> but I think the um, having that process is, is, uh, is, is something that I encourage people to get to as fast as possible. Yeah. yeah, and I think that helps you because you can just go about your life, keep doing all your other stuff outside of investing and know you've made a few right decisions that are just happening mm. in the background, whether it's your investments are automated, your bills are automatically paid, you're saving. I think they're really important things to do. And I guess to wrap this conversation up, at what point can we just realise we've done enough with our investments, like we've set up our core and satellite portfolio, we've automated things, at what point can we just get on with our lives and stop thinking about investing? I think once you set up that automated investment for your core portfolio, that that is enough. Like you don't even need a satellite portfolio. That's just a if you want to. And like I, I, I love learning about all these different companies and finding investment opportunities. And so that's why I have a satellite portfolio. But if you don't, just don't have one. Just have a core Choose a couple of ETFs to what Bryce was saying at the start. Um, three or four might be the the sweet spot. Set up an automatic transfer. Set up an automatic investment, and and that is literally it. And um, Morgan Housel, who's a, a author uh, over in the US, um, a finance expert, uh, he he wrote something that has always stayed me with me, which is like the the biggest thing that you can do to determine, or to I guess like change your investing outcomes isn't the investments you choose. It's it's really just the amount that you save to invest. And so um, set up your automated investments, choose the ETFs that you want to invest in. And then if you want to spend more time on it, the best thing you can do, especially while you're young, is focus on getting your cash flow right, getting your personal finance habits right, saving more and then taking those savings and, and increasing the amount you invest every week or every fortnight or every month, however regularly you get paid. Um, but that's it. Like there's, there's a whole world out there. There's some great podcasts, a lot of great books, um, but you don't have to engage in it. If you've, got, if you've got your automated investments set up, get that going. Make sure you're thinking about your super because you're never going to get a better deal than um, putting more into your super. And then as you get close to retirement, you'll have an investment portfolio that you can draw on and then you can draw down your super once you hit the uh, retirement age and you'll be good. Away you go. That's it. So we're all going to retire millionaires, are we, Alec? <laughs> well, uh, I looked at the numbers again for the book. you got to keep plugging the book. Um, I think it was if you invested for 50 years, so uh, to the end of 2022, so what's 50 years back from that, uh, 1972. So maybe a bit longer than an average working life, but 50 years, uh, you needed to invest $8 a week to become a millionaire. Um, and then we did it for each, like 40 years, 30 years, looking at the US and Australia. But eight bucks a week, like I was about to say that's, that's two, a coffee. That's two coffees, <laughs> but it's it's like yeah. one and a half coffees. These <laughs> one coffee in Sydney probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oat milk. <laughs> like the, it, it can feel so daunting and like the idea mm. of, being a millionaire can feel so far away, but when you extend the timeline and just think about what it would have taken for you 
50 years ago, 40 years ago to get to that point today, it becomes very manageable. And so I think that's what you've just got to keep reminding yourself. Um, small steps today, let it compound. Yeah, just just build the habits. Mm. So almost and reverse read engineering it. <laughs> yeah, and, and read our book, of course. Of course, and of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bryce, what about from you? What is your number one tip from Don't Stress, Just Invest for listeners? Oh, I think we've covered it all, to be honest. Like, I, 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 I just... It really is that simple? <laughs> it, it really is that simple, yeah. And I, I, I won't harp on it too, too much longer. But the sooner that you can do it, the better off you're going to be. I think there's, there's, there's no denying that. Um, and, and just, I think from, from my perspective that, that if you, if you're worried about it or you feel like you're emotionally blocking yourself, like the process that is in that book is like, and a one way to, to take emotion out of the investing process so that you can get on with the rest of your life. So I think, um, that's my takeaway Four simple steps and bang, you'll be loaded. Later on in life. Later on in life. <laughs> it's not a get rich quick scheme. It is a long term investing plan. 100%, 100%. Yeah. Focus on get getting rich slow because you just might do it. Yes. Well, there we go. Well, I'm sure everyone can grab their copy of Don't Stress, Just Invest from Amazon, Booktopia, Dimix, all of those good places, your local library, wherever it is. Well, Alec and Bryce, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing the fact that investing can be really simple and that is enough and that doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Want to create the perfect ETF portfolio? Join InvestSmart's free live masterclass webinar on the 19th of June to learn how to build a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that match your financial goals. Hosted by money expert Effie Zahos and Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's leading financial voices and the chair of InvestSmart. You'll hear about the evolving economic landscape and what it means for investors, as well as top tips on selecting the best ETFs. Ask your questions live and transform your investment strategy. Visit investsmart.com.au forward slash events to grab your place today. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, 
or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.